For full transcripts, translations, content notes, and resources from this episode, follow along with us on our show notes at queensmemory.org. This is the Queen's Memory Podcast, a selection of personal histories from the borough of Queens in New York City. This podcast comes to you from the Queen's Memory Project, based in Jamaica, Queens, at the Queen's Central Library. I'm Natalie Milbrook, Director of Queen's Memory, where we record and preserve contemporary history across the borough. We grow our archives by collecting oral histories, photos, and mementos shared with us by community members. Local volunteers who train with Queen's Memory staff facilitate and record our oral history interviews. We feature oral histories from our archives so we can reflect on and engage with the histories we listen to and tell one another. How do we carry each other's stories? What shapes our personal and family histories? How did we get to the neighborhoods where we live? And where are we in relation to each other's histories? As part of New York City, Queens has long been a point of entry to the United States. Thinking about the borough in this way, we searched through our archives to gather stories of migration for this first season of the Queen's Memory Podcast. These stories cross continents and move through decades of the past century. We share these oral histories to reflect on the histories of this borough, of this country, and of ourselves. from Belfast to Glasgow. I traveled by plane. We came on TWA on a flight from Rome. We took a ship from Palermo, arrived at the port in New York. Came here by a passenger ship. We came with an ocean liner called Saturno. The oral histories in this third episode move by trains, boats, and planes across oceans and land. In this episode, we'll hear stories about travel, physical movements, and how we embody our histories. We found two collections in our archives that we decided to feature in this episode. These interviews struck us in the detail and specificity they offered in stories about traveling to and arriving in New York. The first set of oral histories comes from the Woodside Irish Oral History Project recorded throughout 2015, and the second from a March 2017 family collection by Queen's Memory volunteer Stephanie Fortino-Gonzalez. Together, these stories span about a decade and a half of memories, from 1950 to 1966. With these memories, we want to think about how our specific historical circumstances shape where we go and how we get there. Let's listen. To preface these oral histories, we'll start by telling micro-histories of both Italy and Ireland, starting with Ireland in the mid-20th century. For Ireland in the 1950s and 60s, many from rural regions in particular moved out of the country, compelled by various motivations. From our archives, Mary Toomey cites political persecution and eventual job prospects, and Christopher Bowles attributes his migration to searching for work and chances taken on a whim. The political environment of Ireland was marked by contention concerning the state of the Republic and its relationships to Northern Ireland and the British Commonwealth. 
Many factions of the IRA engaged in direct action to support the unification of Ireland and formation of a divergent Irish state. Different movements supported different political structures, notably Marxism and Republic-based socialism. In addition to ongoing political struggles, economic policies both internationally and in Ireland hindered the small-scale, farm-based work that many throughout Ireland relied upon for their livelihoods. Let's take a listen now to Christopher Bowles and Mary Toomey tell stories of their travels and eventual landings in Queens. Did you take a boat over, or uh, how did you? Uh, I took a boat from Belfast to Glasgow, and uh, I got a ship from Glasgow to St. John, New Brunswick. And then I had a long train ride from St. John, New Brunswick to, to Toronto. Went through Montreal and on to Toronto. I think it took all night from 6 o'clock in the evening until about 6 o'clock the following evening when I got to Toronto. Were you nervous or, or uh, what were you feeling? Not exactly. Not really. Uh, no. It must have been strange to see that landscape, and you know, it's like, did it feel like a different country? And different? well, <clears throat> it was. I remember the train ride, looking out the window, and it, it seemed to be nice, you know, with the trees and the snow. It was all snow, because it was January, and uh, that was kind of nice with the lights and the snow and the trees and all that. I decided that I'd try Canada first. Then later on I'd go to New York if I didn't like it or something. <laughs> when did you come from Ireland? I came in January 1950. How did you travel? I traveled by plane. I got on the plane, you know, I had all new clothes. And I remember to this day exactly what I had because you didn't get new clothes much. So I had all new clothes on me, and a coat, and a hat, and I got on the plane by myself. And the, and we got off in Newfoundland, and at that time they stopped at Gander, I think they used to call it, Gander, Newfoundland. And I had pineapple juice because I thought it was lemonade, <laughs> and I got deathly ill. And I went back on the plane, threw up, and... They put me lying down in the back of the plane, and I got off the plane with all my clothes on, exactly the same as I got on the plane. That was very exciting. How did you feel about getting on the plane? I didn't. I, for whatever reason, I wasn't nervous. Um, I wasn't lonely. I was never lonely after I came, which is really surprising because children, my aunt took an awful chance really in bringing me here and I had never met her I'd never met my uncle I don't even know if I'd ever heard of them what was your first impression once you recovered of, of New York um, well I remember I so remember getting into a car I don't think I had been into a car three times in Ireland there was cars were just in 1950, there were no cars in the country, and I was from the real country. So, um, I, as I, I remember coming in, 
and seeing all you know the cars the backup the there was there was even traffic jams then <laughs> and i can remember seeing all these terrific like lights you know and i i still remember that it was so vivid in my memory of you know how like, we were we are what kind of what were these lights I didn't even know like, you know, and I remember sitting in the back of the car and looking at that. And my first impression of, of Woodside, I don't really remember having any, other than like I met family members. My aunt and my uncle and my two aunts and uncle met me. I remember the first night I was that after my aunt's bath and me and I got into bed and I was a bit of a I suppose a little wild thing and I got into my to the my aunt put me sitting up in the bed and I had company that night and I stood up in the bed and I ran down and I doubled the whole bed <laughs> and my poor uncle my uncle you know they had never had children so I was, I, I'm sure, you know, he probably nearly dropped dead. <laughs> what are we getting into? And then when I would go to bed at night, I would sing an Irish song. I bet they loved that. I thought, yeah, they did. Now, let's listen to Frank Fortino, who in the following clips recounts a flight taken on Transworld Airlines, or TWA, in 1965. TWA was by the 1960s a major domestic airline, since then bought out by American Airlines in 2001. TWA was also the only other American airline after Pan American to serve international passenger flights between the end of World War II and the deregulation of U.S. airlines in the 1970s. So I think you mentioned that you came by airplane. Do you remember the experience of, was that your first time on an airplane? Oh. Um, do you remember anything about it or the flight or the Absolutely. airline? Absolutely. We came on, actually, I don't remember the flight number, mm -hmm. but we came on TWA mm -hmm. on a flight from Rome with a, two stops, one in Paris, one in London, and then on to the United States. The flight was endless. I think it lasted about 14 hours, if not maybe even 15 with all the, the stops. Um, scared, I was scared. Um, you know, especially when the plane moved, I didn't know what was going on. Um, um, it was kind of weird. Um, the flight attendants, nobody spoke Italian and they would uh, come around, offer you food. And I, uh, we didn't take anything, really. I mean, I, I don't think that the food looked very appealing to us. <laughs> they would put it down in front of us, and we'd look at it, and uh, I would look at the people across the aisle, and they were eating, and I just couldn't get past the smell of it. <laughs> it just did not look appealing at all. But, but you know, as Italians are the way they are, my mother had made sandwiches, <laughs> and we ate those. <laughs> back when you could take food on the Yes, on the back when you could. Oh, absolutely, yes. Tell us a little bit about what happened and if you remember anything about an immediate few days upon your arrival, if there were any issues or problems um, or what steps, you know, your family took upon arriving um, within the first few days, if you remember anything. I, I don't I don't think there were any issues. Uh, my father was here already. He was well established. Um, they had an apartment. My sister was with him and... Um, we went straight to that apartment in, in College Point. Um, 
we lived there for a few years before they bought a house. But um, no, I don't. I can't foresee any any issues we had again because my father had already been here. I guess if if we all had arrived together, it would have been different. Frank Fortino also connects World War II with the conditions that compelled his family to immigrate to the United States. My mother and father, of course, decided after World War II, life was really rough. I wasn't born yet, but of what they told me, they decided that they wanted to come to the United States because my father had an older sister who, who had immigrated in 1935. Following the surrender of the Italian state to Allied powers after World War II, Allied militaries occupied Italian regions and declared that sovereignty imposed over African territories colonized by Italy was to transfer to the United Nations. Various political movements, parties, and peoples were simultaneously engaged in building different political structures for the post-fascist Republic of Italy. Efforts went toward disparate prospects such as communism, anarchism, monarchy, and Catholic democracy. The United States placed particular pressure on the Italian state to veer from communism, particularly through financial backing from the Marshall Plan. In addition, demand for industrial production to support U.S. war operations in Korea resulted in the expansion of urban and industrial job openings. However, widespread poverty continued to permeate Italy throughout the 1950s, particularly in agricultural regions in southern Italy, from which many immigrated to move to industrial regions up north. We'll now hear Antonina Cucciara, Josephine Caputi, and Joseph Caputi describe their trips to New York via ship. Both of the ships mentioned, the MS Saturnia and the SS Cristoforo Colombo, were under the Italian Line, a passenger ship company that the Italian state funded after World War II to build ships for travel between Italy and New York City. Now let's get into the clips and listen. We took uh, a ship from Palermo uh, in 19, uh, March, March 9th, 1966, I believe. Uh, yes, it was. And we got the cruise ship. It wasn't a cruise, but it was a very, you know, <laughs> it, uh, it was, the name was Cristoforo Colombo. Mm -hmm. And we sailed from Palermo. The next stop was Napoli, Naples. In Naples, we stayed one day. And we all got off because we all thinking we're on vacation. So, and we met a cousin of mine that was in the military, and he came to meet us there at the port. We are, it was spend the day, so we got back on the ship. And so the next stop was Spain. From Spain, we called my family in New York. They say, oh, we can arrive in the next day. And, and they asked my father, what do you want to eat? Right away, he said, pasta with olive and oil, garlic and oil. All right, because they don't like the food at the ship. <laughs> From there, then it took us, I think, 11, 11 to 12 days to get here. So and so we got here on March 21st, 1966. We arrived at the port in, um, in New York. I believe it was Atlantic Avenue. Do you, do you remember your feelings when you pulled into the port of New York? And... Well, uh, we, it was happy. For me, it was happy. I saw my family that I never met, family, my, my mother's brothers that we never met because they left from Italy. They came to the United States when they were young. Now they, then here they had a family too. They were married, they had kids. So I, you know, I was excited to meet my, my family in New York. 
very excited. My mother too, of course, she, that was the reason we came. So she must have been very happy. She was very that. happy. How was your father handling it? You said he was not... My father, he, when we, he says, do not unpack, don't unpack. When we got to East New York, that's where my grandfather lived. So we, he, they rented a place for us across the street from where they lived. My grandfather lived in a big house, so they rented us. Everything was nice and a beautiful apartment. They, we found everything you would need, food, the refrigerator, the furniture, beds for all of us. Nothing was missing. Everything is there. But my father, that night, he says, do not unpack. Don't even get your clothes out of it because we had clothes in the drawers. My grandmother, everything was there. Clothes for us. It was full packed, the house. The television, nothing was missing. So it wasn't like we came to... I mean, the neighborhood wasn't that good. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what we used to, you know. But a, a strange place. So my father thought, okay, we'll stay here a month, and then we'll go back. She'll be fine, you know, seeing your grandmother, you know, your mother, you know, she lives across the street, and we'll be fine. But we're going to, don't unpack. Don't unpack. My father wasn't good. No. Could you tell me a little bit about... The actual moving process, uh, like what transportation did you take when you immigrated? Uh, we uh, we came here by uh, um, by a passenger ship. Passenger ship. Do you remember the name of the ship? Yes, uh, the SS Constitution. Okay. What was that like to do? Oh, it, it was fun. It, <laughs> it was, was fun. It, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We, uh, like I said, it was it was like a, a vacation for us. Uh, we had a stopover at Genoa, then also another stopover was at uh, Barcelona, Spain. And uh, I was small at that time, I was eight years old, but I, I still remember, you know, really vividly. And a lot of people got seasick and all. Uh, my parents, my sister, my dad all got seasick, but I, I don't, you know, I think I was the only one that, that was fine. I, I didn't get seasick, but... I recall the you know the ship swaying and the the dishes swaying from one end to the other, <laughs> and it, it you know it was an adventure. It really was. We had fun. And you came into New York Harbor. Yes. How, what was that experience like to I, see New York? I recall when uh, when we were first you know approaching uh, the Hudson River, they they called us on on uh, board to go on top uh, on the top uh, level. Uh, to see the Statue of Liberty, and that was a sight to behold. Really, that was that was amazing. So, did your nervousness turn to excitement yes. there? Yes, yes, we were very excited. Mm -hmm. Yes, it did. Yes. Um, so, what kind of things did your family take with you? And is there anything that you think you took with you, or a family member took with you, for a personal reason more so than a practical reason? Oh. What did my family take? Uh, they took, I think, some sort of a trunk <laughs> that my parents still had. <laughs> Don't ask me, you know. They took, like, all these little, like, dishes and stuff like that. Uh, I guess they thought, you know, they, they don't want to leave anything behind, so they don't know what, you know, what to expect here. So they took things that they felt comfortable with, also, like, you know, not personal, but, like, um, Mostly like household goods and stuff like that.
What was the actual moving process like? Uh, what form of transportation did you take? We came with an ocean liner called Saturno. And it was, oof. That was an experience for me. I was so, I got so sick. <laughs> and uh, there was like about two weeks of traveling. And uh, I was very sick of the sick, uh, from the ocean. And that was weird because when I came to this country, I couldn't even take a subway, a train from this motion sickness. I couldn't even go in the car. That's how bad it was. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so that was an experience for me. Sure. It was very, so then I got, <laughs> finally got used to it. And um, I started taking the car or, or uh, buses. But that was a long trip. And um, that was crazy. It's, uh, did, you, did you pull into New York Harbor? Yes, we did. Did anybody meet you there? Or did uh, yeah, my you? uncle, mm-hmm. my uncle was first, and my dad oh. to meet us. And it was uh, an experience to see my dad after seven years not yeah. seeing him. So it was nice, you know. First thing I asked my mom was, who's this guy? I said, you know, who's this stranger, you know, coming to us? As we went to hug my mom and us. Then she finally told him, that's your dad. And that was, it was very exciting. Thank you for listening with us on the Queen's Memory Podcast. Visit our show notes blog at queensmemory.org. There, you'll find full transcripts and written translations of this episode, and more to listen to from our archives. We've also added reading recommendations from Queen's Public Library's collections, as well as resources from local community organizations. And, if you want your stories to join those you heard today and become part of our archives, head to queensmemory.org forward slash participate, or to our show notes to find out more. I'd like to thank our producer, Adrian Lara, and our composer, Elias Raven. A warm thank you to Ro Garrido for providing fundamental collaboration and support, and to Richard Lee and Molly Schwartz for offering their guidance and wisdom. Thanks also to the Queen's Public Library and the Institute of Museum and Library Services for hosting and funding this podcast. Finally, thank you to all the interviewees, interviewers, interns, and volunteers for collecting and sharing the stories that make this podcast possible. If you're listening with others and want to reflect together, here's a guiding question. What kinds of transportation have you taken to get to where you are? In the fourth episode, we reflect on schooling. Listen with us next time on the Queen's Memory Podcast.